Welcome to Page It to the Limit, a podcast where we explore what it takes to run software in production successfully. We cover leading practices used in the software industry to improve both system reliability and the lives of the people supporting those systems. I'm your host, Dormain Drewitz. You can find me on Twitter at Dormain Drewitz. All right, today we'll be talking about security champions and how this matures DevSecOps practices. Joining me is our guest, Simon Maple, currently field CTO at Sneak and the author of a recent white paper on security champions. I'm also joined by Quintessence, one of our developer advocates here at PagerDuty. Quintessence, say hello. Hey, everyone. Nice to be here. Awesome. Thank you. And Simon, thank you for joining us today and welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's my uh, it's my pleasure and always happy to talk about security champions and uh, fun topics like this. Yes, I am looking forward to digging in on that topic. But before we do, I just have kind of a quick get to know you question. Simon, coffee or tea? Coffee in the coffee. mornings. In the okay. mornings. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, how how do you take your coffee? Is it is it cream sugar or just straight from the dispenser into an intravenous bag? I quite like a latte. Ooh. And then I've just recently bought one of these like super strong filters that you know you're supposed to have about 5 cups from during the day or over a few hours and basically I drink one cup of that and then my mind is in overdrive and I can't even bear thinking about another cup. So I'm working on it. Wow. Okay. So that's an interesting sort of self-limiting proposition. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, fantastic. I've been drinking a lot of tea uh, myself, but I do love a good latte. So I'm with you there. Do you take it black or do you take, do you have milk with your tea? Because this is a, this is a thing that the British sometimes do particularly badly. Yeah. No, it's, it's latte, but, but never adding sugar. Um, Okay. Yeah. There's enough sugar in the milk in a latte. Yeah. So that's where we go. Quinn, how about you? All of my local friends will laugh the second I start speaking because there's this place near me that makes these lattes and they make their own house-made syrups. None of this purchased pump stuff. And they make orange, rosemary, and white chocolate lavender and stuff. So I drink those aggressively. <laughs> that sounds pretty delicious. <laughs> I also developed a liking for unsweetened iced tea as a kid, um, something I didn't appreciate as a kid. So sweet tea is a Southern US thing, again, aggressively. I didn't know what it meant that my grandma was from Kentucky, like in this context, but she always had like multiple things of brewed iced tea, um, unsweetened because she was diabetic. Mm. And so I just had this constant stream of like unsweetened iced tea as a kid that I really developed a taste for. And it wasn't until some time in adulthood when I encountered like the thing I was like, oh, just like that. And then you have (laughs) sweet tea and it just, you like practically spit it back out (laughs) in the face of whoever handed it to you. And you're like, oh my gosh. I don't, but like I have to be in the mood for it because it very much is a 50% sugar, 50% tea concoction. So like when you really want like a bunch of sweet tea goodness, like I can be there for it, but I really need to be in the mood. Otherwise it's unsweetened. Okay. Well, I'm glad we established these very important facts about everyone here on the show. That's the business part. Now let's have some fun. Let's talk about security champions. Simon, can you tell us a little bit about your experience with security champions? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I I think it was probably about uh, four or five months ago that I really kind of caught the bug of talking to as many people as I could about security champions programs. And what I really wanted to do was just talk to as many people who have run them, learn from them their best practices, learn from them where some of their security champions programs failed or didn't grab traction. Mm-hmm. And my goal here wasn't to 
kind of like set up a, a cookie cutter security champions program that just fits a wall because I don't believe one such program exists. I think what I really wanted to be able to do is talk to others who want to create a security champions program or already have an in-flight program and just give them ideas and say, hey, this is what some people are doing, or this is how some people are having problems with their programs. And people can kind of glean certain ideas or certain things that they're doing and kind of say to themselves, yeah, this is something that I feel would fit our company culture or would work well within the team's security or dev team that we have here. So that was my goal. And yeah, I I talked to plenty of different uh, folks, some in big enterprise organizations, some much smaller startups who are just bringing in their first security folks or or perhaps don't have security folks, but still want to have that, uh, that you know, secure development through their, their engineering team. So yeah, that's, that's kind of like where I've, I've taken, you know, a lot of inspiration from and a lot of learnings really. Yeah, just out there learning from the field. And I like mm. that you've kind of, you've run the gamut in terms of who you talk to and your point about how there isn't one size fits all. It's just, it's just, we're going to come back to the tea, right? Not everyone mm. wants sweet tea all the time or completely unsweetened. You're going to find what's the ratio for you, right? But I promise I won't come back to iced tea. I like this. I think we should relate everything back to it and maybe even try for as many tea puns as we can as well throughout. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like this good one from my son. What starts with the T ends with the T and has T in the middle? <laughs> it's a teapot. I don't, is it? I don't know. Oh, yeah. There you go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Word puns. Okay. So, got a bunch of questions. I'd love to like pick it, like, what, you know, what you're noticing for bigger companies, smaller companies. But let's come back to just also the baseline because the notion of security champions has been out there for a little bit. But yeah, it's still like kind of an area where folks are trying to wrap their head around it. So I think it's great that you've been, you know, kind of like doing the research on behalf of everyone else. But what's sort of like a, if there's one myth you would bust about Mm -hmm. the whole security champions thing, what's kind of bubbled up for you? The one thing, and I think there's probably uh, a number of things that link into this, and this probably goes beyond security champions or security in general, but the one thing which... A lot of people just assume will work fine, but in my experience, never does. Is that assumption that a developer who is going to be a part of a security champion or is assigned some security work, if they don't have that as a recognized part of their job and they're just expected to do this thing as a, oh yeah, just do just do that when you have time, when you've got some free cycles. That's one of the many things that just will never get done. Um, day in, day out. And, and, and particularly when you try and scale these programs to, to just say, yeah, you know, developers, they need to you know, push these product features out, et cetera. And as and when they can find time to do these extra security things, they'll do them. And I think to rely on that, you'll just essentially be in exactly the same position one year's time down the line as you would be today, you know, if you think that kind of thing's going to happen. So my biggest myth, I think there is, if you expect things to happen through just asking for things, but don't make it a recognized part of someone's job that they take a percentage of their time out, and that is accepted by management, product teams, et cetera, it just just plain won't get done. Yeah. I mean, there's that kind of the adage of, um, if you want to get something done, make it someone's job, which I usually kind of think of in the context of 
everyone's complaining this thing is broken. So you have to actually put someone in place, say like your job is to do this, this thing. But here you're really talking about it's everybody's job. Like the goal is you're actually trying to have, you know, to scale security effectively, you want more developers who are taking it on as part of their job, but it has to be recognized. So that's interesting. Make it someone's job, make it part of someone's job. How have you seen that recognition kind of play out in terms of how does it become recognized as part of their job? Well, there's there's two, I guess, ways in which that can be played out. I think it stems from the top. Uh, and I think for it to be recognized as being a part of someone's job, it needs to be voiced by a, lead, a senior lead in an engineering team, for example, who states not just that security is important to our organization and to our development, but we're going to go as far as to say, I would like teams to spend X amount of, whether it's velocity points or however the teams work, on security. For a security champion, um, so that's typically one individual in an engineering team who is connected to this official formal program, the security champions program. What we've seen is various amounts of percentages of time that can be spent. And often that can be up to 20% of the security champions time. So 80% of the time they're a developer, but that 20%, that one day a week effectively is dedicated to security champion work or securing uh, or adding security processes and uh, things like that into their development team. But yeah, it has to come from the top down. And the second thing, which I think is equally important, is to not omit the work that is done by those individuals as part of reviews and recognition. So if a developer is able to do more development work because they're not doing this 20% of security, that's to be expected. And developers that are at 80% capacity of development work and 20% capacity of security work, you know, they should be recognized for their development work, but equally recognized for that security work. It should be a part of their uh, review plan and part of their recognition plan as well. Have you seen folks even going so far as to adapt, say, their performance review, like templates or, you know, whatever is kind of getting formally used for those those processes have they are you seeing folks like actually adding in you know security contributions in some capacity wow, wow that's not the right wording but so that it is like getting checked in on and yeah no great question I, I haven't seen the format of a review change because of that but what we very often see is um is two things. First of all, developers more inclined to actually put those kind of targets and goals into their quarterly or yearly development plans. Mm -hmm. But secondly, one thing that we have seen, which is which is really, really important, is more and more companies these days mark security as one of their core goals or core focus areas. And you know, there are many companies that are are very open. Atlassian is a, is a great example where they're very open about saying how you know, reliability and security are core things that developers should work on first. And then once those kind of things are sorted, then feature work kind of comes behind that. And I think when you've got those kind of company goals, company ambitions, when individuals in teams start creating their quarterly, uh, yearly goals, et cetera, they tend to come from 
company goals and mm. team goals. Yep. So you see them more being pulled into those kind of review plans from that. Yeah, I'm going to use the W word here, but those goals do tend to waterfall down. It's hard mm. for me to say. That was very agile use of that word there. From, yeah. <laughs> kind of on the opposite side. So we have, you know, the IC's concern, but when you have people at the management and exec layers initially starting to discuss, especially if they're not doing it out of the gate, which is going to be common in any company that's older than, say, a week old, right? They're probably making pivots. So they're discussing, how do I prioritize this? Like, I need to make this a priority. I need somebody to own it. How do I put this above or below other things that I'm giving, you know, my contributors or, or my teams? It's a very interesting question, particularly among organizations that have really strong pulls in a certain direction. I mean, you know, I can take Sneak as a great example, whereby we're such a fast growing company things like features and product requests really can pull uh, an organization in a particular way. And, and, you know, all companies have various pulls in certain directions. So it's very challenging for development teams to focus on those kind of areas. One aspect which I've seen time and time again, actually, in, in a couple of ways, benefit development groups to be able to prioritize this time and actually be better at adopting security processes as well is visibility and transparency. So being able to see how good or bad your part of the organization is doing. So that might be anything from, you know, looking at scorecards to understand the adoption of security culture or the processes that are being done in those in those teams, but also down to metrics, things like vulnerability management, um, you know, how many vulnerabilities we have in certain projects or whatever, whatever it is. So that's, that's one place so that the team is aware of the situation they're in. The second piece is transparency. And I think with developer adoption in particular, this is very, very important to have almost developers gamify where they spend time because no one wants to be uh, seen as one of the worst parts of an organization or the worst business unit, et cetera. And when you get that transparency of how your team, your business unit, your, your department, et cetera, are doing in comparison to the rest of the organization, you do tend to get that more of that push uh, from the top down as well as, as well as the bottom up, because the developers know they, they, they need to do a lot of these things, but are they getting the support? And when you have business unit owners in engineering teams see that their scorecards and their metrics are, you know, not as compelling reading to compared to other departments and business units, they know that their exec teams are gonna are gonna be pushing down pressure on them. So they start making it more of a big deal for their dev teams to focus on. So visibility and transparency for me are the two things that empower developers to be able to focus time on those kind of things. So then to kind of bring it back to security champions, right? If if visibility and transparency are what are really empowering developers, how do the security champions fit in with that? How are they using that information while also then providing like, hey, you you're you're motivated based on kind of this very transparent information about how you're doing. You you that's that's providing the motivation to do something. And the security champion is then saying, here's how you can make this better. Is that kind of the right balance between those two? You've got the why, but then there's how do they answer the how? Or does the, the security champion really need to be kind of also be part of that transparency and, and visibility push as well? 
yeah, the visibility and the, tr- and the transparency push, I think is, that's something that is very important for everyone to be a part of, you know, everything from the, from the exec level all the way through to the devs and the, and the champions so that people can see everyone's dashboard and people can see how everyone um, compares. The how is a really interesting question in terms of, in terms of what works best for that team. And I think another myth actually that we could, we could debunk is the security champion, the individual developer typically per development team is the person responsible to do that security work mm. and that's not always the case they're, they're the person who's responsible to make sure the work gets done that could be done by anyone on the dev team uh, including themselves but i think in terms of the how that's where the communication really starts happening not just between the dev teams the the, the security champions and the security groups but also cross teams across dev teams so as with any organization you'll have some dev teams that are leading edge they want to if they hear about a technology they've not heard of before they want to implement it that kind of that kind of team you'll get other teams that haven't changed in 20 years uh and and you know the kind of keep off my lawn keep off my grass kind of teams where it's like you know we've been doing this for 20 years it's always worked we're going to keep doing this and so one of the ways in which we've found really encourages dev teams to to move forward is to be able to transparently and visibly compare two teams to say, look, if you want to improve X or Y, whatever it is, here's a team that's not so dissimilar from you, but has actually achieved these things and, and, and change their processes in these ways. And it adds a couple of things. First of all, a, a team that's local to them potentially have already walked that path and walked that journey and can give you experiences that worked well or didn't work well. But secondly, you've got devs talking to devs, which is a very different dynamic to a security team, you know, the traditional security team giving bad news or telling uh, a development team how to do their job or what they need to, to do. So that dev to dev exchange tends to be a, a richer environment where they're talking the same language. Uh, they're there with no agenda, just trying to help each other out so that they can uh, similarly see different, uh, similar results after those changes. So this is making me think of another role that here and now, just it's going to be the next big thing, I promise, right? <laughs> I feel like what you're describing in terms of someone who's able to make use of the visibility and transparency, but then also take that next step to say like, well, if we really want to ship this team, we have to, we have to find a similar team. It's like, you're talking about a security anthropologist or something. (laughs) It's like, you know, someone who's doing like a qualitative research on like, what are the species in their natural environments responding to, you know? I am willing to endorse that skill on yeah. anyone's LinkedIn now. I, I think uh, let, we can make that take off. I okay. think we can get okay. that trending. Yeah, yeah. No, we'll just yeah. keep coming up with, uh, with <laughs> exciting titles. But in all seriousness, like, it's interesting. And again, I'm going to come back to like, is that the security champion's job? Mm. As you said before, it's like the security champion is making sure that the team is doing the security work. They're not necessarily doing it themselves. But part of making sure that it gets done is making sure that they're they're motivated on some level. And so mm. how do they go about finding the right comparisons within the organization? That can be kind of hard. I mean, I just know internally, right? Like finding like what's the right case study for someone that's like Oh, you know, it's got to be this industry and, you know, they've got this particular challenge and, you know, you, you end up 
being kind of like the librarian of all internal examples. It, it absolutely is hard. And I think it's not always possible as well, which is another challenge because you might be that team that is either doing this for the first time or wanting to follow uh, the examples of other teams, but those other teams work in different ways. Maybe you're a team that love using GitHub Actions, for example, but if, if another team that has already done certain things haven't implemented a security process or whatever it is in that way, you're now implementing it slightly differently. So you'll never, you'll never get a complete match necessarily, but I think it's really good to, to kind of like have allies that you work with who are of a similar dev and security maturity mm. so that, you know, as a security champion, you can kind of workshop these ideas together with people. One thing that I know a number of groups that I talked to did was when they joined the program as a security champion, one of the first steps they did was take a security, like a scorecard. And that scorecard was effectively a self-assessment of whether or not they are practicing certain processes, uh, whether or not they are doing things throughout the pipeline at different times, how they react to that. And ultimately, they give themselves score. They rank themselves on certain on certain things. And one of the things that I've seen work really well is allowing the dev team to own that scorecard. So, so they're self-assessing. They're the people who can choose where they as a team want to progress next what is the 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 thing which is the biggest pain point for for them as a security champion or their dev team mm. and how can we how can they fix that a, a really good way that you allow that security champion not to work in isolation or as a silo is to find others within a group or within your business unit for example that have the similar need so who are the people that equally have the same pain or uh, for whatever reason have chosen that as the next thing they want to they want to overcome and get people together to talk about the problem why is it a problem how are they thinking about overcoming it because one team might completely overlook a solution that another team is trialing and i think it equally allows people not to make the same mistakes uh, they can see things that just plain won't work but on paper looked good and they can share that knowledge and those examples so yeah, I, I feel like that is a is a core part of that security champion role. Okay. Yeah. So you, you're kind of you're referring to how like really like the almost the programmatic element of security champions where there should be something formal about that program. And part of that is that it gives those folks a place to connect, exchange ideas, share best practices, understand like, hey, my team's identified this. I love what you're saying about letting the dev teams really kind of drive it and do their own self-assessment and then prioritize, ah, this is where we want to spend time. And then the security champion can say, hey, this is where my my team wants to start. Who else has kind of walked this path already? Yeah. There are always going to be other things, other initiatives that the organization might want to achieve. And perhaps they can say, here's one thing that we all want to step forward together in uh, as an organization, but we also want you to pick one thing. Or and I really mean one thing because it's one of the other big problems that people can get into is trying to achieve too much too mm. quick. And it can be very overwhelming to development teams and actually quite frustrating as a security team or a security champion, whereby you want to achieve these five things and think you can do that in three months or four months. But actually, you need to go at the speed which the development team can adopt and actually take these changes on. And that's, we always think that's faster than it actually is in real life. So, 
yeah, literally one or two things, maybe one thing a quarter could be a, a good cadence to to build up and grow slowly within that team rather than just switching something on. Yeah, the, there's a lot of parallels there to you know application modernization, which is certainly a, a world I've been immersed in for a while, but the classic breakdown of trying to boil the ocean and bring in consultants and you know they're going to spec everything out and it takes 18 months and uh, to even figure out like what the first problem should be. And by then it's like the problem's moved anyways. But mm. yeah, that boil the ocean approach really doesn't doesn't seem to work out very well. So that's a great call out as well. You know, one thing is part of how you and I started talking about this was maybe almost a year ago, you had tweeted about how you didn't recall DevOps taking off because there was some kind of champions program. And sort of you're kind of asking this question, if you will, about why is security kind of taking this model of a security champion when we didn't do that for DevOps? Mm. And so I kind of wanted to poke at that a little bit. You know, that was many months ago. You've had a lot more conversations. What have you kind of taken away in terms of there are certain parallels? And it was interesting to hear you call out like where companies that set those really high level goals on on these non-functional requirements that they're still going to say are super important, reliability, um, security. So there's parallels there. But to your point, like the champions thing seems to be different. What have you kind of learned about folks trying to take this approach versus how they've approached DevOps? Yeah, you mentioned that, and I now I'm, I'm desperately trying to remember what some of the answers were, some of the replies were to that tweet. Uh, no, I think it's a it's a really it's a really interesting comparison, and I think one one of the things, of course, with the the DevOps and DevSecOps comparison of the of the you write it, you own it, you write it, you you maintain it, or you write it, you secure it. Yeah. I think one of the core differences between them is uh, when we see DevOps build out and grow and, and operations becoming more becoming code and developers writing that code and maintaining the infrastructure as code and the cloud config and things like that. What I feel we're ultimately seeing is the app grow in scope based on uh, what a developer or a DevOps individual would need to deliver. So that's growing in scope in the sense of a developer would typically my career originally started 20 years ago at IBM and you know the idea of writing a writing an application and throwing it over a wall wasn't wasn't too far away but the idea now of actually you write the application you think about the infrastructure it's going to build upon you think about the container it's deploying in you start writing them maybe you maybe you have some golden images that you're pulling through and making some infrastructure as code changes checking it all in the difference between that and the security model there's no there's no security deliverable that is a part of the application that you deploy per se. It's much actually more similar, in, in my opinion, to more of the functional, the integration testing that developers have adopted. In that sense, there are more similar parallels where you know testing for for regular bugs, you know, integration testing. It's about minimizing risk. Uh, security is exactly the same. You're trying to mitigate risk across your organization and understand where that risk might sit. I think one of the other core differences and big separators here as well is that with things like infrastructure as code bringing those kind of operational deliverables much closer to the developer devops teams need to be much more developer oriented and they very often sit in development teams as well depending on organizations but the discussions that you would tend to have between a dev and a devops 
team would more likely be actually much more relatable and much more on the same level with a developer. However, from the security point of view, you tend to have pre-existing security teams that are more traditional audit style and, and, and presenting those audit results to the developer that then has to go through and, and fix. The two there are at very different levels where you see the security teams care much more about risk and exposure, where the development teams care less about that and more about how to actually fix what is it actually impacting in my application and how reachable is that? How exploitable am I? And they think about things from a very different level. And I think it's that not seeing eye to eye between the dev and the security teams that is one of the most critical areas that needs to be worked on. And that's ultimately what security champions programs are. They're, they're mechanisms in which security teams and dev teams can better collaborate uh, at a level that makes sense to developers. And the idea of a security champion being on the dev side, you know, really, really works to that case. It, it's about a dev talking to the rest of their dev team about security rather than a more traditional security individual with an audit mentality, an audit background, trying to push that message to a dev team, which, you know, we've seen time and time again, gets pushed back uh, from dev teams. Hmm. You know, one thing that you're hitting at there is also this notion of kind of, yeah, like what you can measure and what is done. Because, yeah, your kind of your your comment about like a traditional security team that's got a kind of an audit mentality is sort of thinking in terms of risk exposure. And it's like it never drops to zero. Mm. <laughs> it's like there's always something there. You know, that's difficult if you're like, well, I just... Is it broken? Is it working? Is it up? Is it down? Which those are conversations that both dev and ops can have that are a little bit more binary. Mm. Then there's the, the whole range of questions in terms of really the developers building a thing and it's like, is it converting the customers? Is it doing whatever it needs to do for our business? Sure, that can be like sort of that asymptotal question of like, well, it's never zero, but it's never done. But when you come to something that's like, you know, it's not that type of part of the the code that they're developing, it's like, have we done it? Mm. Can we just move on from this? And the answer is never yes, from mm. a security perspective. There's always something else. And I think where your question kind of got me thinking, your, your question, you know, many months ago, I started to think about the role of like an SRE, where it's like, hey, we're going to establish these service level objectives, right? And again, the answer isn't 100% up. And we're going to manage to like a different number. Uh, but again, it's you at least have something you can measure. So the SRE is so maybe like, and depending on how it's implemented, is, is kind of like a champion, like a reliability champion mm. in some ways. But at least they've got something a little bit more concrete, that SLO that they can work around and they can know like my work here is done. This team is at a satisfactory level um, and they don't need to have the handcuffs anymore because they're operating within this SLO. And so it's kind of interesting, like thinking about security, it's like, yeah, how, how would you measure that? How you, you can't. And then, so you kind of inherently like, this is to me, another big difference and why you kind of need this intangible collaboration to just be ongoing. Hmm. But I, I imagine that's 
that's something that that folks probably struggle with a lot. Just how far do we have to take this? When do we know we're kind of in a good place? Because the security audit team will always come back with something. Yeah. And you know what? That is a really hard question to actually get a good answer to. And I think... I think, you know, we always say, hey, this year is the, the year that we're going to really crack security measuring and, and things like that. There's, there's a couple of things which I think are, are really core differences here with the ops teams. Like, exactly like you say, you know, you, you effectively look at reliability. You look at how, how many nines can we achieve uh, mm-hmm. with security? What does that look like? And I think ultimately in security, you, you count up, not down from, from a number, right? So you say, how many vulnerabilities do we have right now? What does that mean for our risk? What, what is a, what is a high risk number? And it's like, unless you actually have context for those numbers, they're, they're just numbers. And, and I think yeah. contextless numbers are, are extremely dangerous to, to throw around. One thing actually that Guypo and uh, Patrick Dubois did some work on is the idea of actually what a, what a, a four nines, five nines style approach from a security point of view would be. And starting at a hundred rather than count up from zero, depending on your number of vulnerabilities, et cetera, and things like that, you start from a hundred in the same way uh, reliability works, for example. And depending on how your dev teams, for example, address their critical vulnerabilities, whether they're doing it within the right uh, SLA times, uh, et cetera, it's the process and the behavior of the teams, which, you know, you see those numbers drop and you'll be able to say, you know, here is a number of our processes, our culture, effectively, our our practices. And that is, that is a number we can, we can strive for. And you can look at that you know, service to service or team to team, for example. So that was that was an interesting way way of looking at it. I know Alyssa Miller is a, another wonderful person in the security space who did some really interesting work about thinking about how you can provide context to numbers. So, for example, you know, if you see a project that has vulnerabilities that are increasing, what does that mean? Does that mean that project is is behavior, you know, is, isn't getting enough love from the security angle? Or has that project just recently doubled in size and the number of vulnerabilities per line of code that has been committed is actually halved? So one of the things that she looked at is building up these models where you have relationships and you care more about the relationships between nodes or between numbers than the actual numbers themselves. So for example, as I commit code, that is uh, that is a growth uh, relationship between that and the number of vulnerabilities or bugs, issues that you would expect in that code. As you add code, you expect more issues in that code. So you can see those those relationships and depending on how the various numbers react to each other, you can determine whether you are improving your general security in those spaces or not. So yeah, measuring is something which is very hard to do, nowhere near cracked. And I think bringing it back to security champions, one of the core things, because nothing's ever done, is really important to actually be able to reward based on what people are doing and accomplishments that teams or individuals have made. And that's a really good way of rewarding individuals and and teams so that you can actually share and say hey this team achieved this let's get this vp or this svp or c level to acknowledge this and give shout outs in the right places or let's get these people out to i don't know black hat or defcon or, or different places in which they can grow their knowledge because they're showing real value to the company and we want to build that up and we want to reward uh, those individuals and that's also a great way to show a path that one team has taken and encourage other teams to strive to to achieve the same thing. Uh, it's equally 
a great way of recruiting people into the security champions team because they see others whose names are up in lights who are achieving wonderful things and they think hey i want to be able to do that i want to be able to uh, be that person who can achieve that for my team and it's a it's a great way to get people in less of a voluntold way but in a voluntary way into a security champions program well as we wrap up here, there's been lots of good tidbits. And I know also the the paper that you've written, which is available, and we'll provide a, a link in the show notes for folks. You know, final thought, one thing that folks could start doing this week that would help them kind of on this path towards having a, you know, a, a security champions program, right, that's benefiting their their organization, what would that be? That's a that's a really great question. I could give answers around tools or processes or practices, but I think the most important thing is is culture. And the biggest challenge to any individual is to go over and talk to the security team or be able to understand where the security team can help. And I think having that empathy and trying to make sure that the other teams that you're working with have that same empathy for you. So being able to very clearly explain and define the problems, the the restrictions that you're working in, et cetera, I would say that is the most important thing. Everything else can follow, but if you get that communication, that openness and that willingness to to want to work and share with other teams, that is the most important thing. And you'll find that typically when you start building those relationships up, you will begin to have shared goals with other teams based on those relationships. Okay. Well, that is a great assignment for anyone um, who's who's listening, catching up on this podcast. Go have a quick convo with someone on your security team. First, always feel free to ask them if they're a coffee or tea drinker. We all know. I was going to say, bring bring a tea as well and and have a have yeah. a conversation. Well, yeah. maybe the first conversation you got to you know find out are they coffee or tea. So the next time you talk to them, you show up with one in hand and you already know what they like. You don't want to bring a sweet tea to someone who clearly just doesn't want sweet tea that, that on that day, right? So that's a good that's a good opener. Yeah. So that you got that opener. That's my gift to you. <laughs> and then you know, yeah, like ask him like what keeps you up at night. What does good look like from your perspective? I think those are great questions, and this is a great call out, Simon, is just to get people to to start talking to each other. Thank you. Pleasure. Okay. Well, with that, thank you again. For joining us on this uh, this conversation about security champions, we 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 tucked into a lot of different topics. Uh, this is Dormain Drewitz, and I am wishing you all an uneventful day. That does it for another installment of Page It to the Limit. We'd like to thank our sponsor PagerDuty for making this podcast possible. Remember to subscribe to this podcast if you like what you heard. You can find our show notes at Page It To The Limit, and you can reach us on Twitter at Page It To The Limit using the numeral two. That's Page It To The Limit. Let us know what you think of the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember, uneventful days are beautiful days.